It's, it's, it's like a Monty Python thing. It's. it's, All right. I feel like we have our cold open now. (laughs) We do. It's December 4th, 2018, and welcome to episode 8 of C-Lab, the customer education lab, where we explore how to build customer education programs, experiment with new approaches, and exterminate the myths and bad advice that stop growth dead in its tracks. I'm Dave Darrington. And I'm Adam Evermescu. And let's get into this, Adam. Why don't you kick us off? Do our intro for us. All right. So for our dedicated listeners, you might remember a few episodes ago, we talked about your approach to hiring. How do you build an education team for the first time? But once you've actually hired and onboarded that team, your leadership style actually has a huge impact on the results that your team's going to achieve. What are the key leadership skills you need to be a customer education leader? Oh man, talking about leadership skills in a bite-sized format, that's going to be tough, isn't it? All right, how do we go ahead? Let's break this down. I think we should break this down because obviously there are a ton of leadership skills that you can have, and we don't want to turn this into a generic leadership podcast. There's plenty of material out there on what do you need to be, uh, you know, as a, as a generic leader. Let's talk about customer education leaders. Okay, we can do that. So we all know that there are plenty of generic leadership skills out there on the market, right? Uh, leaders need to be able to influence, to coach, to manage, uh, to track performance, give feedback, mentor, blah, 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 all that stuff. So what do you specifically need as a customer education leader? Yeah, so this is what we're going to focus on. And we also don't want to go too far down into the actual skills of a customer education practitioner, right? Mm -hmm. As a leader, you're obviously going to be coaching and mentoring people on facilitation, instructional design, project management, and all that. We're going to save those for a different time. So today, as far as being a customer education leader, I think there are three skills that we can dive into specifically. And each one of them ties to a book that I'd recommend for new customer education leaders. Now, they're not specifically customer education books. They're, they're leadership and, and personal development books. But since we love our hypotheses, let's, uh, let's do each one of them around a mini hypothesis. Okay, so I'll kick these off and uh, you will fill us in and help us with our uh, Christmas reading list, right? All right. <laughs> Hol- holiday Dep- reading list. Depends on when this episode actually launches. Indeed. Okay. Well, it's always good to have a backlog of books. Let's <laughs> go with the first hypothesis. Um, the first one is, it's important for a customer education leader to hire and develop experts who are naturally talented. So what do you think about that? I think that one's actually false. So mm-hmm. yeah, I know, right? Because you say hire for talent. We, we always yeah. say, you, you know, you and I were talking before we, we hit record and talking about actually hiring for talent and developing people. But to support the idea that maybe we should rethink this hypothesis, I'd like to look at the research of Carol Dweck. And so Dr. Dweck is a psychology professor at Stanford, and she studied what motivates people to push past the boundaries of their quote-unquote natural abilities. So what helps a person actually grow and become successful? And what she found is that the difference is actually not in natural talent. The difference is in mindset. So most people, yeah, most people are conditioned to have uh, a fixed mindset. Have you ever heard that term? Fixed mindset? Yeah. Where it's like, okay, this is the way it is. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to budge. Something like that. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm naturally good or bad at this. I I believe in 
I, I am this, I have this fixed quality, I'm good at this, I'm bad at this, uh, and, and I can't change that. Mm. So when you, when you have that mindset, and Lord knows I, I do about a lot of things, and, and I, I've, this really resonates with me feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm really bad at math, or I'm really bad at event planning. Um, <laughs> and when you do that, you're, you, you don't really push yourself outside of your comfort zone. You're more concerned with protecting your self-image and, and not failing. Okay, I, I can go along with that. So tell me more. So the, the alternative to that is actually called the growth mindset. Have you heard that term? I have, but I, I, I think our audience needs to know a little bit more about what that means. So does that mean I am as the opposite of fixed, uh, where I say I'm not good at this, or I'm really good at this? This is, I'm going to go learn that, and I'm going to change my sets of skills? Exactly. It's, it's the belief that fundamentally you can grow past these failures or grow past areas that challenge you. So you're not really approaching it as I am this. It's more, well, where can I go? What can I learn? How can I develop? Okay, that's cool. Yeah. So what you do when you have a growth mindset is you really look forward to that, that uncomfortable moment of pushing past your failures and learning from them so you can actually build new skills and go to new levels. Prior to this podcast, we were just chatting, and one of the things I said is that, yeah, I like to hire people that are naturally talented. But then I got to thinking about that. Now, when you're talking about this growth mindset, I think I see what you're saying here. So I remember one of my first hires was someone who I, you know, I thought that was talent, but I think what I really liked in them, and then I saw over the next couple of years, is that they were able to tackle new things without skipping a beat, and grow from that. So it's a, it was different from what I perceived. Is, is that accurate in what you're thinking? Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I think uh, Dr. Dweck would as well. Because I don't think she's saying, and, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't hire people who are talented, right? You should right. hire people who are naturally talented at things. But I think that that's less important than looking for that growth mindset. Um, because if some, if, you know, if you hire people who aren't good at the thing you hired them to do, then that's a deal breaker. It's going to be mm-hmm. a a pretty long development process to get them up to speed. But you don't necessarily need to find the person who is imbued with this natural talent to do the exact thing that you hired them to do. You want to find people who have a superpower that can be developed, but is excited about stretching and learning. Mm -hmm. So that informs how you set the tone on the team. As, As a leader, if you can be more comfortable talking about the things that you're not naturally talented at, you know, I, I work a lot on vulnerability with my team <clears throat> and letting them know, hey, you know, this is something that maybe I wasn't good at in the past or this is something I've been working on. Um, that also applies to the way that you set goals on a team. You, you have a license to push and coach your team beyond what they've always been doing into new and exciting areas. That's really cool. So then it's okay. And I think one of the coolest things I've, I've seen in the past is, was a gain site. We had an offsite. And Nick Meta got up in front of everybody, and this was hundreds of people, and he had he was like ruthlessly vulnerable. It was amazing. And he said, you know, this is something that I'm working on and this is something that I'm struggling with. And and that kind of opening, it doesn't mean you're not a good leader. In fact, it means the exact opposite. Like, wow, I have license to change and grow too. That's that's really exceptionally cool. Yeah. And you know, another example that I've seen pretty recently is at Microsoft, once Satya Nadella took over, mm-hmm. he's been talking a lot to the company about embracing a growth mindset because 
you know, if you looked at Microsoft's market position when he came in, Microsoft really had been stagnating for a long time and operating in what they thought was their comfort zone. But what got them there wasn't going to get them any further. Right. So everyone had to start thinking differently and, and stepping outside of that comfort zone. So I thought that was really cool. Well, that's that's great. So how does this then translate to our learners, the people that we're trying to reach and educate? Yeah. Why, why is this a customer education skill? <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Well, when we're designing courses and when we're facilitating courses with our learners, I think we should explicitly encourage our learners to be vulnerable. You know, it's, it's okay to ask dumb questions, quote unquote. It's mm-hmm. great to try and fail in a safe space because you're not going to learn until you step into that uncomfortable moment. So like, for example, nobody likes role plays, but right. <laughs> you probably learn more in doing role plays when you're uncomfortable. You don't like role plays because you're going you're gonna to fail at them, right? You don't want right. to say the wrong thing, but that's how you get feedback. That's how you learn. Wow. So, you know, like those people who do the ad lib shows like, uh, oh, gosh, what's the one that drew? Whose line is it anyway? Yeah, those guys are particularly vulnerable because they're going to screw up all the time, aren't they? Yeah, I think uh, improv. We have a, we have a lot to learn from improv performers. Maybe we'll do that that one in the future. What customer education can learn from improv? Yeah, I know that just recently I was on um, I just did a Twitch feed where I turned on the channel and here I am sitting here by myself with a kind of a plan. And then I just started working on stuff and talking at the screen. And I think one of the things that people in that kind of environment, like, I don't know if you, you watch any channels on Twitch very often, but one of the cool things that I really love about that platform is that people are exceptionally vulnerable. They're just putting it out there on the line and they're trying to do something and they're failing at it over and over again. But then people are supportive and in the chat and they're saying, hey, did you try this? Uh, here, here's a good thing, like Dark Souls, I, I like to play games. Dark Souls is probably akin to customer education. It's like trying to train somebody to do the hardest darn thing they could do. And when you have people helping you or being, you're honest with yourself and saying, I don't know everything, it's really, it's really empowering and it gets you to that next level. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's part of why we, we like to find our people in our network too, to learn the things that we don't already know how to do. And, and if you're listening to this and you're saying, well, gosh, that's not going to work with my learners, I would challenge you to share some of this research at the beginning of your class. You know, even if it's just a, a one slide or, or a comment that you make to set the tone, share that when you do take the growth mindset and when you do step outside of your comfort zone, you are going to learn more, you are going to grow more, and it's actually shown that it leads to better success in the long term. That's, that's awesome. All right, let's move on to the next one. Now, that hypothesis is going to be it's important for a customer education leader to be the smartest person in the room. After all, we're education leaders, right? So we have to know a lot of stuff. So how do you think, based off research you're finding, that is that gay or is that nay? How do you, how do you feel about that one? Well, call me a horse, because that's nay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think this is another one that, that we can actually pretty easily debunk. A lot of the research around this uh, I found in a book called Multipliers by Liz Mm. Wiseman, who uh, created Oracle University, and I hope I don't mess up his name, Greg McCune, might be McCowan, maybe McCune, who also wrote, he wrote wrote a great book called Essentialism, which I also recommend, but we're not going to talk about it right now. Um, But the book they wrote together is called Multipliers. And, And in that book, 
they studied different leadership styles, and they found that teams got better performance overall when their leaders didn't focus on their own intelligence and making themselves smarter. Because when you're the most intelligent person in the room, it actually stifles everyone else. It kind of makes them dumber. So you're so, the rock star. Yeah, you, you don't want to be the rock star. You want to create an environment where your team can be rock stars. Certainly. And it sounds like the most obvious thing in the world, but you know, I, I'll tell you, I've caught myself doing a lot of the, the things that uh, in a moment we'll, we'll learn are called diminisher behaviors. Even if you're doing it unintentionally and you have the best intentions, um, you can still accidentally diminish your team. That's so. Uh, so, what are the ways? Uh, what are the things that are involved in peeling this one back? Like, how can I be better at uh, encouraging you know this multiplier effect? Yeah. So they they found five patterns in their research that are the multiplier versus the diminisher uh, personas, if you will. So the first one is if you're a multiplier, you're a talent magnet. And if you're a diminisher, you're an empire builder. Hmm. So this one has everything to do with how you hire and who you attract. If you're a talent magnet, you're attracting and optimizing the best talent. You're not doing the, the thing where you, know, you hire B players, who hire C players, and you're kind of scared of bringing in people who are, are better than you, so to speak. And then once people are in the door, you actually spend the time to develop them and find whatever their natural genius is. Because you know, going back to the, the previous discussion, you can't hire just for talent, but everyone does have a natural talent or a natural genius that can be um, explored. Yeah, totally. Yeah. The second one was uh, if you're a multiplier, you're a liberator versus uh, a tyrant. <laughs> so, well, yeah, <laughs> free, free the people. <laughs> I like this. So to, what do you mean by how do I liberate somebody? What, what is it that I need to be doing to help that happen? So let's, let's start with what a tyrant is, and then we can define liberator against that. So a, okay. a tyrant is a dictator. They create a culture of fear. Hmm. Uh, a liberator, instead, they still require people's best thinking. They still set a, a tone of healthy intensity for their team. But instead of creating a culture of fear, they create space for everyone to do their best work. So that means nice. they're really encouraging rapid learning cycle. Focusing on, on what you're learning, not on the mistakes, which, again, sounds a little like the growth mindset to me. Yeah, that's, that's cool. So what, what else is in that? So you got three more points, right? Yeah. Okay. If you're a multiplier, you're a challenger versus a, a know-it-all. So this <laughs> means challenge your team. Don't be overbearing with your solutions because you might have the best solutions, honestly, but that's not going to scale. So nope. you shouldn't be the only one who can solve hard problems. Instead... You can encourage your team to stretch and solve problems as challenges, not just relying on you to solve all the problems. Love that one. So that, that basically means uh, you don't have to do it all, know it all. You've got a team for that. Exactly. And you can encourage them to step up to the plate just like you might have been doing in the past. All right. Number four, debate maker. That's the good one versus <laughs> decision maker. That's the bad one. Uh, this one kind of just makes sense, right? You should encourage yeah. healthy debate instead of ending it early just to get a decision. Um, a lot of people who are diminishers uh, make decisions in a vacuum or make it with just one or two select people all the time. And instead, if you can force your team to discuss and confront hard problems and give honest opinions, you're probably going to come to a better one together. I like that. So I know in some cases in in my past, my, my personal narrative, I got the team into a room and said, hey, we've got this thing we've got to figure out. 
and let's get up on a white whiteboard and I throw somebody the pen and say go and let's list out ideas and try to do things and then just try to it, I think that's actually kind of hard because when you, when you perceive of yourself as a canonical leader you know old school um, you are in this frame frame of reference like everything I, I have to know it all I have to, to tell you how it is I personally don't like that I would rather work as a team otherwise I'm gonna get super stressed out and it, it, it really seems to help and it empowers people if you say, well, I might be the leader, but that doesn't mean I have to make every decision. I want some input. And what do you think? Yeah. And, and you know, something I found about myself, too, is, you know, early on when, when I first became a leader, I guess I, maybe when I first became a manager, I don't even know if I was a leader yet. <laughs> I, I used to be I used to encourage debate, but in a way that was very Socratic with one person. So, you know, they'd bring me an idea and I'd say well, okay, what do you think? And I thought that was opening up debate, but I actually don't think that was the most productive way to do it. Maybe that was like a step on the road towards okay. um, really being a debate maker. What, what I learned to do over time was instead of being the one to have the answers or being the one to just kind of come back with, well, what do you think? It was more about bringing the team together to debate some of the big issues out together. And you know, kind of going back to a previous point, if it was something that could actually just be solved without debate, instead of me being the one to just solve it and make the decision, um, I want to empower my team to have the 51% vote. So I'll cool. say, you know, this is my opinion. It's a, it's a weak opinion, um, but you know, I'd love for you to make the decision. I like that. What's, what's the last one now? Last one's super, super simple. Uh, if you're a multiplier, you're an investor. You invest in people. Mm -hmm. If you're a diminisher, you're a micromanager. So instead of directly managing, right? Nobody likes a micromanager. So Especially instead in Lego of Lego movie, <laughs> nobody likes a micromanager. <laughs> so instead of doing that, instead of micromanaging and directly involving yourself in everything, instill accountability. Give people ownership of the end goal, not just individual tasks or components. That's exceptional, and I guess for a discussion point around that, one of the experiences that I had is I had a, a team member. They were. You know, relatively new, but they had the basics. And I said, okay, you know, we, we teased out and kind of got to an initial thought for a new learning program, a new, new training a course. And I said, you know what? I'm going to back off of this. You've got this. I'm going to go over here and do this thing. You're going to go, you, you've got this. Go do it. Yeah. And I was so thrilled to see what came back that the, they literally thought through everything and they went out and re talked to subject matter experts and customers. And at the end of the road, we had a fabulous program. And, yeah. and that, that person, I felt like I can entrust that person to do literally most anything after that point. People, people can be really smart when you give them the opportunity to be smart instead of jumping in and trying to solve it for them. All right, so Dave, I'm, I'm going to be vulnerable for a moment, and I'm going to tell all right. you, I think of, of all five of these points, the one that I struggle with the most is being a challenger versus a know-it-all. I think sometimes, you know, feeling like maybe the urge to protect my team or maybe because sometimes it's a problem I've solved before, I can mm -hmm. feel myself sometimes jumping in and being that know-it-all and just coming out with the solution. And I really want to work more on being a challenger. Is there one as you went through that, that you thought, mm, this is the one I'd like to work on? Okay, Adam, I'm going to choose a different answer, because, but I 
empathize with you, and I think I have that same problem, the challenger versus know-it-all camp. Let me take the talent magnet versus empire builder. And I'm going to take this for a specific reason. I don't, I, I can't tell you that I'm necessarily trying to bring people that are not smarter than me by any means of the imagination. But I think it's really easy to get in this mindset that, oh my gosh, I've got a budget and I can build a team. And then you start thinking about people as, as in roles, right? So I want somebody who's a really, uh, uh, as an instructional designer, and I want somebody that is a training ops person, and I want somebody that is this other function. And I think it's so easy because you start having, and I've gone through this recently where you had to like figure out, okay, well, what if, are they better at this? Are they better at this? What can I get? And, you know, as you're growing out, it's really good to be able to say, I've got people that are taking care of these, as opposed to saying, I've got people that are like, you're going to be smarter than me and got this and can do it. And you're also limited by budget too. So, you know, getting talent also costs a lot more. So you've got to be yeah. willing to, to, to do that. And, you know, in a lot of cases, it's been relatively easy to say, okay, well, I can argue for a little bit more budget. So hey, that's that one in a nutshell. What do you think? That That's a great one. And, you know, if, if you're listening to this right now, I really encourage you to think about this for yourself, right? It's not easy to call yourself a know-it-all or an empire builder. But when you start to reflect, really think about which one of these would you choose to to start improving tomorrow if you could. That's fantastic. All right, and the, the sake of brevity here, like we we're trying to go for, let's go for the last one. Um, last hypothesis is the best way to motivate your team is through competition. Maybe you want to have leaderboards with everyone, everyone's individual performance or satisfaction scores. What yeah. do you think about that? Putting, pitting people against each other to, to get that kind of survival of the fittest. Well, if I were the scoreboard right now, I'd be going to that hypothesis. <laughs> we, put, we put three false ones in today just to, yeah. just to mess with everyone. Okay, so the, the final book in what I call the, the, the leadership trilogy <laughs> is a book called Tribal Leadership. And it's by uh, Dave Logan, John King, and Haley Fisher-Wright. And in the book, they study tribes within organizations. And they're defining a tribe here as a, a team of about 20 to 150 people, although it's going to mm-hmm. vary. So, you know, depending on the size of your organization, that could be literally your entire company. It could be your department. Or it could be your team, right? You might have a tribe that's just your customer education team. Sure. And each tribe has a culture that moves through different stages. And in the book, they give them cute names. So the, the first stage is life sucks. And then you move up to my life sucks. And then you move up to I'm great. And then you move up to we're great. And then finally, life is great. Um, and that one's really rare. But in the middle, those, those two key stages, I'm great and we're great, those are the ones that really make the difference. Because in reality, if you think about I'm great, that actually means I'm great and you're not. Have you, have you seen this, Dave? Yeah, kind of a competitive. You know, you have that, that person who... Uh, I've seen this in, in many different organizations. You get somebody labeled the rock star. Yep. And then they're they're the only one that can do this, and they're the best. And well, you, I don't feel so good around that. I just, I'm like, well, maybe I suck. I, I yeah. don't know. So for they're saying person, they're great. For every person who's saying I'm great, you're right. There's another person who's saying my life sucks. Mm-hmm. So you get people jockeying for power, not collaborating, hoarding information. And the scary thing is, this is the level that they found 
most teams operate at. Gosh, the I'm great level. Yeah. Okay, so how do you move past that? Well, <laughs> you have to change some behaviors. You have to get over the dopamine hit that you get from winning or beating another person. I, I haven't seen this as much in customer education. Um, other teams like sales sometimes really, really gets that, that dopamine hit. Totally. But instead, start moving towards how your team can accomplish a purpose together. And I think in customer education, this is really important because a lot of the time your team connects really well to this aspirational purpose. We're helping people learn. We're helping people grow. We're doing something great together. Um, but specifically, one technique that you can do is to move from this idea of dyads or, or two people relationships to triads, which are three people relationships. Hmm. So instead of you as the manager having one-on-one -on -one relationships with every single person on your team and doing all your business through one-on-ones, Start connecting people with each other, doing more of a, you know, more, more of a, a triad instead of a hub and spoke model. So people start collaborating with each other. That's a pretty cool idea. So the, the whole one-on-one -on -one mentality could shift to, to you know, multi-group, multi multi-person meetings. Yeah. Um, and even outside of regular one-on-one -on -one meetings, I, I still think it's really important to have one-on-one -on -one meetings with every member of your team because there should be a safe space for you to talk about their career, what's on their mind, their blockers yeah. without having to worry about another person in there. Absolutely. Uh, but I also, uh, at Optimizely, I, I would create different environments where people could collaborate with other people they might not normally collaborate with. So we would have a triad of the, the leaders on the team, and we would have a triad of people who worked on certain types of projects together. Um, and so it really kind of opened things up to more collaboration and more shared purpose. That's fabulous. Well, tell me, right. tell me more. Well, you ready for the part that's going to blow your mind, Dave? I love getting my mind blown. Go for it, man. So in the book, they pointed out that a big way that they know the teams move between these stages is, and I'm quoting here, a, a language and a pattern of behavior. Hmm. They say it's not a permanent state, like being tall or being short. So what does that remind you of, Dave? Uh, sounds like this growth mindset. I think so, too. It's really interesting that the growth mindset, to me at least, applies throughout all of these skills. You have it, you know, obviously the growth mindset is, is kind of a foundational skill. That's why I talked about it first. Or I find, it's not even a skill, it's a mindset. Um, but then when you start thinking about the skills that you need to be a multiplier, not a diminisher, a lot of those come from you embracing the growth mindset about yourself and about your team. How can they become smarter? How can they do more? How can you upset this dynamic of you knowing everything and them being subordinate to you? And then you look at it again in tribal leadership, right? The, the way you talk about yourself, the way you talk about your team's potential, that's the growth mindset again. You're moving from your own personal outlook and achievements to the team dynamic, to how you operate as a strong tribe. That's fascinating. And, you know, that kind of resonates with like the way we used to be uh, ahistorically. And, and one of the stories that I, that I, I love and I've listened to a different podcast on is, you know, we used to be tribal, exceptionally tribal. And now we've moved in this massive, you know, geographically diverse thing and super advanced technology. And I think we've gotten this, gotten the, into this place where the egos run away from us and we have to protect that ego and we have to be the best and we have to be the smartest and we have to be the one that runs the fastest and does the most work. But what you're telling me here in growth mindset is no, it's, it, we've got to break down those barriers and that those bad habits of thinking and 
thinking and start realizing that we are a team. We're always a team. We're a tribe. And if we're going to be successful, particularly in our cohort, we're, you know, we're, you and I and customer education, I think in general is leaning much more towards early phase companies in high growth phase companies, not those big ones that are out there with hundreds of thousands of people. So what do you think about that? I, I think that's, that's absolutely correct. And it's a, it's, I think it's a great thought to end on because as customer education teams, often we're not in these purely operational roles with these super defined jobs. We really have to be able to collaborate and be flexible uh, to grow and to get beyond where we are today. So I, I love that. Hmm. All right. So how about, yeah, let's wrap it up. What, what's our call to action? I think you've, you've led this one, led us down this road. What's our homework? Okay. So I hope that after listening to this, you really want to run out and buy those three books because they're going to say everything I just said way better than, than <laughs> I said it. Um, I would start with mindset. I would read that one first. And I would even encourage your team as a call to action to start this reading list as well, especially starting with mindset if they're an individual contributor. If you have managers on your team, maybe also work with them uh, and do multipliers and tribal leadership together. Um, but again, those books are, and, and we're not getting a cut from any of these. Uh, you can pay us on the side if you want. Uh, <laughs> mindset by Carol Dweck. Multipliers by Liz Wiseman and Greg Mc. Kuhn. Oh, I hope I'm saying that right. I hope you are. Greg McKeown. <laughs> Greg McKeown. Greg McKeown. Maybe we'll get him Greg on. McCowan. Maybe we'll get him on and interview him. So, Greg, if you're listening, I know you're listening, Greg. Please, <laughs> please tell us how to pronounce your last name. Uh, and then Tribal Leadership by Dave Logan et al. Awesome. All right. Well, let's bring this on by saying if you want to learn more, we have our podcast website at customer.education. Uh, you can find show notes, blogs, all our podcasts historically there. It's amazing. And uh, on Twitter, we actually have a new Twitter account just for C-Lab. It's at, yeah, it's at C-Lab 11. I don't know why we're number 11. There's 10 more before us, but we're the best one, right? No, we're, we're, we're going to help that. We're number leadership. one, twice. <laughs> one, twice. <laughs> uh, and I'm at Dave Darrington. I'm at Avermescu. And uh, special thanks to Alan Coda for our theme music. Uh, last, I'll say, if this helped you out, you can help us out by subscribing in your podcatcher of choice or leaving us a review in iTunes. Those two things really help expose our podcast to other people. And to our audience, thanks for joining us. Go out, educate, experiment, and find your people. Thanks for listening. Hey everyone, Adam here from the C-Lab Podcast. I'm proud to announce that I just released a new book. It's called Customer Education, Why Smart Companies Profit by Making Customers Smarter. You can actually find it now on amazon.com in ebook or in print format. Uh, you could also do bit.ly slash customer education, made you an easy little bit.ly link. So I'd really appreciate it if you pick a copy up and let me know what you think. Thanks everyone.